Welcome back to the Arab-Israeli conflict, Explained. In the last episode, we took a closer look at the lives of Palestinian refugees and at the development of Israel as this new country in the Middle East. The creation of Israel, its victory in the War of 1948, and its role in the displacement of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians laid the groundwork for a particularly volatile Middle East. It was only a matter of time, it seemed, before Israel and the surrounding Arab states would go head-to-head again. Today's episode is really all about the friction between Israel and its Arab neighbors, particularly Egypt. Just to give you some context, we're discussing the Suez War, or the Suez Crisis, whatever you want to call it, in today's episode. And as you listen, the story may seem tangential to a podcast about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, but I'm devoting a whole episode to it because it's important in understanding the larger dynamics of the Middle East. Remember, it's called the Arab-Israeli conflict for a reason. Now, I think the best place to start is with a man named Gamal Abdel Nasser. Nasser was, perhaps, one of the most consequential and controversial politicians in the Middle East. His story begins with his service in the Egyptian army. There, he, along with three fellow soldiers, created a group called the Free Officers, whose main goal was to oust the Egyptian royal family. In 1952, they did just that. The group managed to lead a relatively bloodless coup, and two years later, Nasser became president of Egypt. He promised to put an end to corruption and incompetence, to wipe away the remnants of British imperialism, and to be a champion of pan-Arabism, meaning he believed in the unification of the Arab world. For many, especially later in his career, Nasser represented the beginning of a new era, an era free from Western interference, colonialism, or power plays. This was also coming at a unique time when both the United States and the Soviet Union were trying to build support in the Middle East. And that's an important dynamic to be aware of as we discuss the Suez Crisis. During the Cold War, Egypt was a part of the non-aligned movement. Nasser wanted to remain independent from either major power bloc and remain on good terms with both the U.S. and USSR. He joined the non-aligned movement partially in response to something called the Baghdad Pact, which was an anti-Soviet military alliance between Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Pakistan, and Britain. Nasser viewed the agreement as a possible infringement on his own interests and power in the area. The Baghdad Pact also coincided with a number of other events, which only heightened tensions in the region. For one thing, Israel had just led a raid on the Gaza Strip in response to Palestinian guerrilla attacks, which Nasser himself had been encouraging. And in 1956, Nasser achieved a major goal of Egypt's nationalist movement. Within 20 months, British troops would be evacuated from the last British military post on the Suez Canal. This alarmed Israel because, up until this point, the British had served as a sort of buffer between Egypt and Israel, keeping the peace. Nasser also recognized communist China around this time, signed an arms deal with the Soviet Union, and blockaded Israeli navigation via the Straits of Tehran. So, to put it in simple terms, Israel and Egypt were clearly at odds with one another. They were practically at war. At the same time, Nasser was growing closer to the Soviet Union and the communist bloc. The United States and Britain were disturbed by Egypt's seeming indifference to, or even sympathy for, the USSR. So they withdrew funding for an irrigation project called the Aswan High Dam, which was a key part of Nasser's infrastructure campaign. In response, Nasser nationalized the Suez Canal in July of 1956, meaning the Egyptian government seized it 
from private owners. Now, this is where the Suez Crisis truly begins. I'll start by saying that the Suez War was predominantly between Egypt and the allied forces of Britain, France, and Israel. Now, as I said before, Israel and Egypt were practically at war already. The nationalization of the Suez Canal just happened to be the final straw. Israel's involvement in the war isn't surprising. Some kind of confrontation was inevitable. For Britain and France, their motives were a little more messy. It was partially a matter of maintaining their authority in the area. The British Prime Minister, Anthony Eden, even called the Suez Canal, quote, the great imperial lifeline. But the British and French were also shareholders in the Suez Canal Company, and more than two-thirds of all oil used by Europe flowed through this strategic waterway. So they were looking out for their economic interests as well. In a sort of side plot, France also got involved because they believed Nasser was helping the Algerian nationalists, who were fighting to end French colonial rule. So in a secret agreement with Israel, Britain and France laid out a plan to recapture the canal. First, the Israeli army would invade the Sinai Peninsula and march to the Suez. Then, Britain and France would call on both Israel and Egypt to withdraw 10 miles away from the canal. When Nasser inevitably refused, they would land their own forces and take over the Suez. At first, the plan went smoothly. The IDF invaded Egypt on October 29, 1956, and a day later, the British and French issued an ultimatum to Egypt and Israel to withdraw their forces 10 miles from the canal. The one problem was, Israeli forces were still 30 miles away. This misstep gave away Britain and France's role in the plan and their false neutrality. Remember that this was a secret agreement. And when this conspiracy was revealed, it brought international condemnation, particularly from U.S. President Eisenhower, who was disturbed both by the secrecy of it and the timing. It took place in the midst of an anti-Soviet uprising in Hungary, which was met with violent Soviet suppression. And Eisenhower, keeping the Cold War in mind, feared that the Suez Crisis would overshadow the Soviets' brutality. He also thought Britain and France's return to imperial tactics and interference in the Middle East would only strengthen the Soviet argument against the U.S. and its allies. He feared that the crisis would ultimately give the USSR a leg up in the Middle East, and therefore in the larger developing world. Within days, a UN joint resolution called for the immediate withdrawal of all invading forces. By December, Britain and France had retreated, and Israel followed in March of 1957. The canal remained in Egypt's hands and was fully reopened. The Suez Crisis transformed the Arab world. Nasser was hailed as a victor and a hero, someone who had defied the imperialists and defeated Britain and France. He became the iconic Arab leader, who ushered in a wave of nationalism, anti-imperialism, and pan-Arabism, which were often condensed into one word, Nasserism. The crisis also revealed how the Palestinian-Israeli conflict had really spiraled into one between Israel and its Arab neighbors. The Arab camp now viewed Israel as a tool of Western imperialism in the Middle East, and as a result, became more closely connected and sympathetic to the Soviet Union. Egypt, Syria, and Iraq all received military and economic assistance from the USSR throughout the 1950s. Now, this may seem odd, but for Israel, 
the war was actually a partial victory. Even though they retreated and still couldn't use the Suez Canal, they had demonstrated that they had a formidable military force. The UN also stationed forces in the Gaza Strip and in Sharm el-Sheikh to prevent Palestinian guerrillas from crossing into Israel and to ensure Israel's right to maritime passage through the Straits of Tehran. So this wasn't as painful a loss for Israel as it was for Britain and France. On the world stage, the Suez Crisis marked an end to Britain's role as a major superpower. It became clear that Britain and France could no longer act alone. They now had to bend to the will of the United States. The crisis also identified Britain and France as strong allies of Israel and enemies of Arab nationalism and Nasserism. After the Suez Crisis, the Arab-Israeli conflict became less militarily active. The Arab world was consumed with a battle between the Nasserist camp, made up of Egypt, Iraq, Syria, and Yemen, and pro-Western conservative monarchies, or the reactionary camp, made up of Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Kuwait, and Lebanon. This ideological clash is sometimes called the Arab Cold War. We'll discuss all that and more in the next episode. This has been the Arab-Israeli Conflict Explained. See you next time.